Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. So we're talking with uh, Edward Dodge on Coast to Coast AM, and then we'll get to your questions and comments coming up the bottom of this hour and then open lines after that. Um, In the chapter of his new book, um, uh, the chapter entitled Cannabis and the Great Mother, you make a point that I I think this was actually a fairly cool connection, that cannabis is one of the few plants with distinct male and female plants that must fertilize one another. And that kind of, that is kind of interesting how that, you know, if we're going to make a, if we're going to draw this into a conversation of a god and a goddess, the fact that there are these distinct personalities, if you will, to, uh, to marijuana, I think that's something. I didn't know. And that they they are symbiotic, uh, although the female plant, and a lot of people would feel the, feel the same way about goddesses, that the female plant is the superior of the two. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, we. Uh, that's why they breed seedless uh, seedless marijuana nowadays that they call sensimilia. So you need the male and female, but it's only the female plant that you get uh, the drugs from. Uh, the male has uh, effectively none, and then the um, you get the superior fibers as well from the female plants. So, and with modern day marijuana, they will take out the male plant, so there's no seeds, and they call that sensimilia. But they did the same thing with hemp for centuries. Um, George Washington talked about it in one of his letters that he failed to sure. get, the, uh, get the males down before the they went to seed. Hmm. Funny, but that. You know, so the idea that it's the female of the cannabis that is the stronger, that again comes back to what some people would say was the model for a lot of temple worship, which is the use of um, something of a psychedelic drug um, that would create a kind of euphoria or a a mind at least a, a, a kind of a mind-opening experience, even if it's not a, akin to something like what we might think of as being LSD, that, that without that, one might not have had any experience of the divine in a temple context. But with it, everybody did. Well, I definitely think they were using intoxicants in the temples of the ancient world, and that they uh, had a pretty full apothecary of plant drugs, cannabis being among them, um, and, you know, opium, ephedra, uh, myrrh, mandrake, belladonna, these were all uh, the psychedelic mushrooms. These things were all known and used in the ancient world. Uh, but what makes cannabis unique is that it's not just a drug, it's also a fiber. And so in these goddess traditions, weaving, sacred weaving was uh, a primary activity of, that women did and that they did in, in the goddess temples. And so cannabis bridges that gap. And then it's also a midwifery medicine for women that they can take as a uh, to ease contractions, um, and as an aphrodisiac, and for menstrual medicine. So it's it, all these things that wraps around for uh, for these women-led religions. Yeah, and, and these uh, these different uh, concoctions of mixing wine with cannabis um, in yeah, that, these. That, yeah, they called it strong drink or mystery potions, and this is how they mixed up all sorts of drug cocktails in wine and beer going back deep into the Neolithic. Um, this is, again, something that, that women did, and that was pretty well documented. Um, there's a funny line in uh, the Law Codes of Hammurabi where the, uh, the, 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 
the, the, the Kadesha priestesses, the sanctified women, were not allowed to enter into a tavern or or ever own a tavern. Much they couldn't enter it or own one because of their mastery of mystery potions. So they were never mm. allowed to go near the taverns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and also hashish, as we understand it, um, it, had a pretty ancient application as well. Yeah, uh, they use it as incense as well. So that's that's one place where you see it in the Bible. Um, Again, it would be mixed with other stuff. It's not that it's hashish alone, but that it, it is a common ingredient mixed with myrrh. It, it shows up listed next to myrrh in a few of the references in the Bible, and they were they were mixed together. They're used as incense together. They're used in drinks together. Um, yeah, and the common. but myrrh is one of those um, things, obviously, that has a distinct connection to the Christmas story. Um, that the that the you know, the, as often referred to as the three wise men, but I mean, that's a misnomer in some respects, but that they, that they brought myrrh. Um, so are, do you see a different significance in the fact that they brought myrrh to the, to Mary, uh, to honor the baby Jesus? Right. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So frankincense and myrrh, but were both uh, incense ingredients and they were valuable items in the spice trade. Um, that hashish would have been, you know, similarly uh, was a valuable item in the spice trade that was just, you know, part of the backdrop of the ancient Near East. So you don't have any suspicion that that myrrh that was brought was that ha- was part of a concoction, as you referred to it, uh, uh, something else that might have gotten mixed in. You know, with the I, I make a lot of claims about where I see cannabis all over the place, so I don't want to I don't want to go out on too many limbs. I don't I don't make a claim about that specific story. Um, I make claims about other stories, though. Uh, for example? Oh, well, I mean, I see cannabis all over the place with Moses, specifically um, the burning bush, the menorah, that the, uh, the, the God coming down in a cloud of smoke into the tent of the meeting. Um, I mean, I kind of see him as like, a, you know, a desert shaman, a Rastafarian type figure. Um, and that those, in those traditions, there's a bunch of symbols with Moses that get thrown out later on. You know, he's using a serpent staff. He makes a, a serpent on a pole that then later gets thrown out in the temple reforms. So um, there's a few different things. Uh, the shot nets is uh, linen and wool mixed together. Moses makes a specific instruction to mix linen and wool together to make the tent of the tabernacle, uh, tent of the meeting. And then, but then later on, the, the Deuteronomist reformers say don't mix linen and wool together. So I, I kind of put cannabis in that in that vein that it was something that Moses was doing at, you know, in 1200 BC or whatever, that 600 years later are being thrown out in temple reforms. Uh, there is a, some dispute. Uh, various well-known authors have suggested that, um, in fact, the drink that Jesus was offered during the course of the crucifixion what would have been one that was that strong drink you mentioned earlier, um, and that it it wasn't um, a bitter drink to taunt him, but from a sympathetic centurion, um, that it might have been a pain reliever. It might have been something which well, might... I, I have a more, even more elaborate theory. You haven't read that right. in the book. I have not. Um, Go ahead. So um, I, I picked this up from Chris Bennett, who is... Uh, I got to give it a shout out to Chris Bennett, who's uh, you know, the main marijuana in the ancient world researcher who I picked up most of this, most of my baseline information I picked up from him. And then I, and then I ran with it. Um, so there's a theory um, 
that Jesus basically faked his death using a strong drink to um, to feign death, and then he had he had allies, mainly the women, Mary Magdalene and the other women, then Joseph of Arimathea, and who had the tomb, and and the others. They helped. They they basically they gave him this strong drink mm-hmm. while he was up on the cross. He hadn't been there very long, and it it makes him look like he's dead. And then they're able to pull him down before he was dead, and then nurse him up and patch his wounds and let him sleep for two days. And I argue, Chris, Chris, Chris made the point before me that, um, that, that cannabis would do the trick. You could, you could make a tincture like that with cannabis. I know people have done it in the modern day that will knock you out and make you look like you're dead. Uh, catalepsy is uh, one of the primary um, well-documented in the modern medical literature and ancient literature. Uh, what, catalepsy is, the, is the, one of the main effects cannabis will do in very strong doses. That, and that is, you know, um, your limbs are stiff and waxy, and and you you know you kind of look like a corpse, and that that's pretty well documented for hundreds of years. Uh, that's highly contested, obviously, by not and not necessarily even by mainstream theologians. You know, it's not just a matter of people maintaining an orthodoxy. There is a, a it's a it's a fun discussion. It's a um, you know, the, this idea of the Passover plot, as it had been referred to in the past. Yeah, that's where it came from. It came yeah. from the book. Yeah. But that that's, you know, there's a lot it's of a debate. You know, it, it's, it's a, a lot of debate theory. about that. I'm not going to like, it's not a hill I want to die on. I'm not going to go on tour, you know, making this case. Um, but it, it's a fun one. It's uh, I'd rather make it a discussion about, you know, you know, the medical efficacy of cannabis and the fact that uh, super strong doses of cannabis do not kill. You know, cannabis, right. the death rate is zero, 10,000 right. years, no death, no disease, and, no ma- and, and you can make a tincture so strong that it will knock you out for two days. I mean, I've never done it, but I've heard people do it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, your friends will think you're dead. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, but don't get me wrong on, on the point about the Passover plot. It's not that I'm just tossing that out. What I'm saying is, before you get there, before you even have to get to a broader discussion about Joseph of Arimathea, and then they take Jesus and and he goes into Europe and becomes the divine right of kings and all of that that comes as a result. Before you even get there, just even that idea that a, a sympathetic guard, somebody there that was, you know, their job was to to stand underneath that and to hasten the death of Jesus uh, before sundown, that that was something they did to be nice was something which in even just given that one little sliver sort of defies tradition which too many which a lot of you know there's a lot of reason to suspect that the the biblical evidence says you know they were casting lots for his tunic and they were doing all this other stuff that they were all there just to mock him but maybe one person kind of essentially was trying to slip him a mickey just to slow his breathing down just so that he would die and it was a it was a mercy killing if you will or or even just uh, he was going to die up on the cross but how much pain he had to experience before sundown well that was you know that 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 could be determined by something like this right well three of the gospels have that detail of him being given you know some undetermined uh kind of drink while he's you know just before he succumbs on the cross three of the gospels have that detail and and they call it uh sour wine or sour vinegar it's not really right obviously unclear what it is 
Right. But that may be the sour factor, as some people describe it. That tincture made it turn from something which would have been a pleasant taste into an unpleasant taste, but it would have been more effective. Um, and now what about you with in terms of um, the how how long in your research anyway, what do you see as indicators of how long the use of a cannabis like product continued into either the late temple period or into early Christianity? Um, I think that, I mean, cannabis has simply been around forever. I mean, it, it that's what I, I kind of find interesting with the history is that it's once established in an area, it never goes away. So it's just part of the backdrop of the ancient Near East and you can always find someone's using it. Um, and but not really in Europe, because in Europe, it's all hemp. It's not the drug type. So in the drug types you get in the Middle East and South, India, Egypt, um, and then in Europe, in China, you're getting the fiber types. So um, where you find the cannabis is in the stuff where the church that, that they don't like, you know, in the, in the occult or among the witches, um, all the stuff where the church says, that the Orthodox church says it's bad, that's kind of where you'll find the cannabis. Um, but there are mystics and stuff and occultists in the Middle Ages that, that knew about it. Francois Rabelais knew about it in the Middle Ages. He writes about it extensively, um, but all in code because he would be executed. So Gargantua and Pantagruel is a famous French book from the series of books from the 1500s, I think. Um, and Rabelais is, you know, it's, it's very satirical and it's very, very funny and very bawdy. And he's making fun of everybody, the church and the aristocrats. And this is an era where people are getting, uh, executed, burned to the stake for heresy. And so he writes extensively about cannabis, calls the king of the plants, but it's all in code. He calls it Pantagruel. He names his chief character after the plant. So there was, it was around. People knew about it. Learned people knew about it. Um, but the Orthodox Church never liked plant drugs of any type. It's all shamanism and, um, you know, witchcraft. You know, the church has always been mistrustful of plant drugs. Uh, and I'm assuming that includes mushrooms. Um, we were talking about the mushrooms that were recently uh, some there's research that indicates perhaps they're growing on Mars. Um, so right. psilocybin being the that's the psychedelic mushroom. Um, do you what do you see of that mentioned in your well, research? So, I mean, they're the, the it's important to understand that they're in the immediate first century after Jesus. Now you've got very disparate groups uh, following Jesus that are that are not aligned at all. So the Gnostics and the followers of Paul and the original disciples who remained in Jerusalem as Jews, they had very different attitudes. Um, so it's all quite speculative when you're talking with the Gnostics, since we don't really have much detail to no. like confirm anything. But I'm perfectly open to the idea that they were had one foot in the mystery traditions, and that at least some of the Gnostics were. In, indulging in, in psychedelics and that kind of thing. I mean, people theorize about a psychedelic Eucharist. I mean, I'm not making that argument, but some people make that argument. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, there is a, I mean, it, the whole idea of Eucharist is kind of trippy in the sense that it isn't, I mean, f for some traditions, it isn't just a breaking of bread and a sharing of a common meal or a symbolic representation of that event as it happened in the upper room, but rather, and this is the part that I often, I find like super mystical, but I love it, is that it, this is an event that is taking 
place in the past and the present and the future that communion is multidimensional and not limited to just the time and space that one is in. And I thought, okay, that's like, I love that. I just think, and and I don't think necessarily people think about it that way, or not everybody does. But in that sense, now you've got something that sounds like it could come as a result of people who are experimenting with something that they, you know, saw as being more than just the evidence of what the world was around them. Yeah, I mean, whatever's going on with the Eucharist, it's not, you know, it's certainly not Jewish tradition to say, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Wherever he got that, it wasn't, it wasn't from the Jews. So, uh, and, and there's, it, it, with Jesus, it's hard to separate, you know, what, you know, what did, what do we think the real Jesus said from what was, you know, clearly being mythologized later on. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's all open to interpretation. That's what makes it so much fun. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.